Well, please turn now in God's Word to the book of Exodus, chapter 20, and to the Ten Commandments that we have been working our way through uh, in recent weeks. And in particular, we're looking this evening again at the Sixth Commandment, You Shall Not Murder, Exodus 20 and verse 13. Uh, this morning, we thought a little bit, first of all, about what this commandment does not mean. It does not forbid the killing, uh, it does not forbid killing of any description. There are certain cases in which killing, certain killing, is permitted. Killing of animals, in capital punishment, and in war. We saw that what is forbidden here is the unlawful taking of human life. The commandment does not say you shall not kill, but you shall not murder. And the main reason for that, as we saw this morning, is the sanctity of human life. Man is made in the image of God, and that makes us the most precious thing in the universe. So having seen this morning what this does not mean, I want us to think this evening a little bit about what the commandment does mean. Because it would be quite possible for us to come to this commandment and feel a little smug. Because none of us has committed murder. Surely this is one commandment that we don't need to worry about. But of course, these ten words in the Ten Commandments are far more searching and penetrating than we might realize at first. And the larger catechism gives us some very helpful principles in interpreting the commandments. In fact, in, fact, in question 99, we have eight principles for interpretation. And I just want to mention two of them just now. The second principle that the catechism gives is that the law is spiritual. The law is spiritual. We're told that in Romans chapter 7. What does that mean? It means that the law reaches to our understanding, to our will, to our emotions, to our souls, to all the powers of our souls. Not just outward things like words and actions, but also to our hearts as well. The law of God is not just about our external actions, it is about our hearts and our minds. That's what Scripture means when it says the law is spiritual. And we need to remember that as we interpret these commandments. And then the second one that I want to mention is principle number six where it says that the commandments include all causes, means, occasions, and appearances of the sin forbidden and all the provocations to it. Now, there's quite a lot there. Let me just read that again. The commandments include all the causes, the means, the occasions, and the appearances of the sins forbidden and all the provocations leading up to them. In other words, it's not just that the act, the sinful act that is forbidden is wrong, but everything that leads up to it, 
everything that encourages it, everything that contributes to it in any way, that is also wrong. And that's also covered by the commandment. It's not just the final physical act of murder that is forbidden here, but everything that would lead up to it, the feelings and the thoughts and the desires that eventually result in murder or may result in murder. And when you think about it, that is very realistic, isn't it? Because murder never just happens out of the blue. Hardly anyone just decides on the spur of the moment, at least no rational, sane person decides on the spur of the moment that they're going to murder someone. It is almost always the result of a long process of conditioning and preparation, whether consciously or subconsciously. It may come from years and years of watching violent murders on television or in a computer game, as we thought this morning, that hardens our conscience, that desensitizes us to violence and to the horror of murder. Or it might come as a result of months or years of jealous, bitter thoughts, wishing that someone were dead, fantasizing about them being taken out of the picture. And that's what this principle in the catechism is talking about. It's a principle that comes from Scripture. It's what James refers to in James 1 verse 15. He describes this process, this slippery slope where one thing leads to another, leads to another, which eventually leads to murder. He says, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. In other words, a sinful action is always the end result of a whole process of sinful thoughts and sinful desires that may have been going on for years and years. The commandments include all causes, means, occasions, and appearances of sin and all provocations to it. In other words, the sixth commandment forbids not just the act of murder itself that comes at the end of that, but all kinds of injury and hurt that are caused to other people. Anything that detracts from the health and welfare of another person is forbidden by this commandment. It prohibits not just the ultimate expression of sin, but all the lesser sins along the way that lead up to the final act of murder. The police speak of someone as being an accessory to murder if they're involved in any way in helping commit a murder. And so these feelings and thoughts and desires and circumstances and actions, we can think of these things as accessories to murder. And that's what I want us to look at together this evening. And I want to mention three categories of accessories to murder. First of all, passive aggression. Passive aggression. That's a phrase that I'm sure we've heard. 
uh, perhaps a fair bit, but uh, maybe we're not very clear on what exactly it means to be passive-aggressive. Uh, what is passive aggression? Well, passive aggression is any indirect form of hostility towards another person that doesn't involve actual physical harm. Any act, any form of hostility towards another person that doesn't actually involve physical harm. It can be very, very subtle, or it can be extremely obvious. But it's no less painful. In fact, sometimes it can be more painful than physical harm. And so passive aggression includes things like hatred and anger and slander, bearing a grudge. All of those things fall under this category of passive aggression, hostility towards another person that doesn't involve actual physical harm. Now, these things may not seem all that very serious to us, but the Bible calls them murderous. These are the emotional soil out of which murder grows. The bitter harvest of actual murder comes from these things. Uh, These are like the top of the slippery slope that leads all the way down to murder itself. Leviticus 19 verses 16 to 19 expands on this sixth commandment. And listen to some of the things that it says by way of elaboration on the sixth commandment. Leviticus 19.16, do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Do not hate your brother in your heart. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. John says in 1 John 3:11, anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. Hatred is one of the most common forms of passive aggression. And it's an emotion, the Bible tells us, that we should never, ever feel towards another Christian. And we can easily put on a front, can't we, for the benefit of others. We can pretend to be terribly polite. And yet in our hearts, there can be this horrible well of hatred towards another brother or sister. Anger is very clearly described by Jesus as murder in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 21 and 22. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. When we are sinfully angry with someone, we wish, even if it's just for a moment, we wish that that person, the object of our rage, 
didn't exist. We wish them dead. Angry people who are full of rage are ready, aren't they, to explode and take out their fury on some hapless victim. They lash out with their tongue. And anger so easily leads to physical harm if it's not checked. It can go on to murder. It's interesting, isn't it? It's sad that murder is almost universally regarded as one of the worst crimes possible, and yet anger and losing your temper is seen as just a little foible. In fact, some people even think of it as a virtue. They pride themselves on being what they would say, they're, be, they're being straight, they're being forthright with people. That's not what the Lord Jesus says. Jesus says that angry people are murderers in their hearts. Don't tolerate anger, sinful anger in yourself or in anyone else. Wonder do you find yourself getting enraged and bitter every time you see a certain person or think about them? That's something that needs to be dealt with. That's a horrible, bitter root of anger that can so easily sow the seeds of murder. Slander is a murderous thing that we are to guard against. We talk, don't we, about character assassination, spreading falsehoods or half-truths about someone in such a way that it destroys their character. It leaves them emotionally bleeding and hurting. Contempt and pride are murderous attitudes, according to Jesus. That same passage in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, verse 22, he says, Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, You fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. In other words, when we show scorn and contempt for another human being, when we write their existence off as worthless, we're guilty of this murderous act, according to Jesus. And that attitude shows itself in dozens of ways. We are very clever, aren't we? Very subtle ways of showing contempt for people. Little sarcastic jibes, belittling criticism, and mockery, humiliating someone in front of others, cutting them down, rolling our eyes, showing contempt for them, feeling contempt for them in our hearts, even if it doesn't find expression. Envy can lead to murderous thoughts. How many murders have been committed out of envy? Envy for property and possessions, envy for someone's wife, envy for someone's position and influence and popularity. We have examples of that all over the place in Scripture, don't we? Think of Ahab and Naboth's vineyard. Think of Joseph's brothers. They didn't actually murder him, although they almost did. They as good as murdered him when they left him for dead. Think of David and Uriah. 
Proverbs 14.30 says, Envy rots the bones. In other words, envy kills. All these things are the fundamental toxic attitudes from which murder comes. And so they are condemned by this commandment along with murder. This is very, very searching for all of us. You may nurse a grudge. You may be hating someone in your heart. And perhaps it never will go any further than that. Nobody would ever guess from listening to you how you really feel about that person. But the Lord sees our murderous hearts. We need to remember that that's exactly where every murderer started off. At some point, they began to indulge and nourish and cherish these bitter thoughts in their hearts. You're on a slippery slope that leads to murder. You need to repent. You need to get off as soon as possible. You've already committed murder in your heart, but don't let it go any further. Nip it in the bud. Kill it while it is still small, and don't let it grow in strength and size. So passive aggression is one category uh, of uh, these accessories to murder. And then a second category of accessories to murder is carelessness. Carelessness. It says in Deuteronomy 22, verse 8, When you build a new house, make a parapet around your roof so that you may not bring the guilt of bloodshed on your house if someone falls from the roof. Now, the principle there is very clear, isn't it? The law says don't live in such a way as to be the cause of injury or death to anyone else. Leviticus 19.16 puts it in its most general form. It says, do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. We may not intend to do harm uh, or cause death, but if someone is harmed by our carelessness or our laziness or our incompetence, then, according to Scripture, we bear some of the guilt of that, the guilt of bloodshed. It's a serious business. And there are many, many applications of this principle in our world today. It has application to how we drive, for example. Our cars are lethal weapons. They can do an incredible amount of harm and damage. And when we drive carelessly and dangerously or recklessly or without paying due attention, we are breaking this commandment. We are endangering the lives, our own life, and the lives of others around us. When we drive too fast, simply for the thrill and the exhilaration of speed, when we don't look in our mirrors, 
when we use our mobile phone and try to text while driving, when we take our eyes off the road so that we can change a CD or fiddle with the radio. All of that is breaking this commandment. You remember the golden rule of the Lord Jesus, do to others as you would have them do to you. That applies to our driving. How would you like everyone else on the road to drive when you're using the road or when your children are using the road or when your children are crossing the street? Then that's how we should drive for others. Do to others as you would have them do to you. It's a tremendous temptation for young drivers, particularly for young male drivers, to show off, to think that you're a better driver than you really are. Well, actually, everybody thinks they're a better driver than they really are. But young drivers particularly, they don't have the experience. They can be so complacent. Older drivers can be complacent because they've been driving for years and years and they've never had an accident. And so they think that they're immune somehow to having an accident. It, this commandment obliges us to take precautions to make sure that accidents don't happen. Obviously, we can't prevent all accidents from happening, but we need to take all sensible precautions that we can. Health and safety in the church and in the home is really very important. It's important that we have fire exits and that our fire extinguishers are working and serviced. In CY, in the Holiday Bible Club, we have a duty of care, not from the state, not because the state tells us to do it, but because Scripture tells us that we are to do it. The state shouldn't need to tell us to do it. God has already told us to do it. We don't need anything extra, really, from the state. We should already be doing anything that the state could possibly require of us. Child protection is a very practical outworking of this. And if you haven't yet filled in your Access NI form, then please make sure that you do it as soon as possible. And speak to Catherine if you're not sure how to do that. Yes, the world has gone mad when it comes to some aspects of child protection. But we have responsibilities, and we need to take them very seriously. Whenever we allow dangerous behavior to go unchecked, we're breaking this commandment. Do you have smoke alarms in your home and carbon monoxide alarms if you need them? Are they working properly? Is your kitchen and medicine cabinet child-proof? These are the kinds of things that God's law requires of us. Make sure that you have a parapet around your roof. Many people are careless because of greed. You see that in Deuteronomy 21. The law says that if a man has an ox that gores someone, and he knew that the ox was dangerous and yet he didn't destroy the animal because he didn't want to lose money on it, then his greedy carelessness is culpable. He is to blame. He wasn't trying to cause anyone's death. He wasn't goading the ox to attack somebody and gore them. He didn't want the victim to die. But the bottom line is that he cared more about money 
than about the human beings made in God's image who could perhaps be hurt by that dangerous animal. What does that mean for us? It means that you've got to get your car serviced properly. It means that the electrics in your house need to be up to regulation. It has something to say to uh, food companies, pharmaceutical companies, and technology companies. So many of these big corporations, they don't want to lose profit. They care more about money than about human life. And their carelessness and their greed costs lives. And they are murderers. They are guilty of bloodshed because of their carelessness. Mechanics and electricians and builders who take shortcuts to save time and money, but who put lives at risk because of their shoddy work are murderers. Because carelessness that costs life and endangers others is murder. Passive aggression, carelessness, and then thirdly and lastly, lack of discipline. Lack of discipline. Uh, the Catechism again, question 136, lists uh, many things that are prohibited by the Sixth Commandment. And one of them is the immoderate use of food, drink, work, and recreations. The immoderate use of food, drink, work, and recreations. And those words are very challenging, aren't they, to our couch potato culture, when we have so many convenience, labor-saving gadgets and devices. Uh, we have machines to do so much for us. We have cars to take us anywhere that we want to go. Fast food, and as I was reading about this past week, ultra-processed food, uh, which is partly responsible for the epidemic of obesity in our culture. Uh, it's not just that people are not exercising enough. It's not just that they are uh, not restrained when it comes to eating. But so much of the food that's on offer in supermarkets is ultra-processed food, which makes it extremely difficult for people to keep their weight down. All of these things... Uh, make this a challenge for us. Obviously, smoking and alcohol abuse and drug abuse are forbidden by this commandment. All of these things clearly destroy our health and can cause either our own death or the death of others. But those are probably not practical temptations for many or any of us here. And again, it would be easy for us to be smug, wouldn't it? To pat ourselves in the back and feel very pleased with ourselves. But many Christians who look down their noses at, at people who smoke and drink to excess are often hypocritical in this area. One of the biggest killers in Northern Ireland is heart disease. And yes, smoking... Uh, contributes to that, but so does unhealthy eating and lack of exercise. Yes, smoking is very, very bad for you, and it can kill you, but so can a bad diet, and so can lack of exercise. 
A lot of studies have been done recently uh, showing just how very bad for our health lack of sleep is. Driving while sleep-deprived is as dangerous, if not more dangerous, than driving while you're drunk. And yet, because these things are more socially acceptable than smoking or drug abuse, many Christians hypocritically condemn the one while practicing the other. We have no right to harm our own lives or destroy our own health any more than we're allowed to harm anyone else's. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 is talking about sexual sin, but the principle applies to this subject as well. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19, Paul says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. We're not just to honor God with our souls or with our minds. We are to honor God with our bodies. And we need to take that seriously. How many of us don't take proper exercise? We allow our bodies to become slack and weak. Now, there may be unavoidable reasons why we're overweight and unhealthy. But are you overweight because of a lack of exercise or a lack of discipline about your diet? We should feel convicted about that by this commandment. That is a sin that probably all of us at one time or another need to confess to God and repent of. We're breaking the sixth commandment by endangering our health. Or perhaps it's the other extreme for some. You don't eat enough, or you're undisciplined about how much you work. Your problem is not that you're lazy. Your sin is that you never take any rest. And both of these extremes are wrong. They both damage us. Overwork doesn't glorify God. Overwork dishonors God. It is disobedient to God. Working yourself into the ground is no better than laziness. It's not a virtue to boast about. It's a sin that needs to be repented of. And we all tend towards one or other of those extremes. And all of us need to identify our sinful tendency. And we need to confess it to God, and we need to repent of it, and we need to guard against it. Because we are all guilty of murder in God's sight. Whether by passive aggression, or by carelessness, or by lack of discipline. We've all of us broken this commandment in one way or another. We may not have taken out a gun and shot someone, but we're guilty of the attitudes and the actions that are part and parcel of murder, of the process that leads ultimately to murder. It's only by the grace of God that we've been restrained from 
following through on these impulses, these murderous feelings, going to the end of the road that perhaps many times we have started down. And I haven't even touched on the duties that are required by this commandment. Let me just quote as we close from the Catechism again, from question 135. What are the duties required in the sixth commandment? It's not just about sins that are forbidden, but what are the duties required? And the answer, or part of the answer is, the duties required in the sixth commandment are all careful studies and lawful endeavors to preserve the life of ourselves and others. And then the catechism lists a whole uh, slew of ways in which we can preserve our lives and the lives of others by patient bearing of the hand of God, quietness of mind, cheerfulness of spirit, instead of getting eaten up with anxiety, uh, which is very damaging to our health worrying about things and getting angry about our circumstances, patiently bearing and accepting, this is God's will for me. Quietness of mind, cheerfulness of spirit. Not just by having bitter, not having bitter thoughts about others, but the catechism says, by charitable thoughts, love, compassion, meekness, gentleness, kindness, peaceable, mild, and courteous speeches and behavior. It's not that I'm anticipating any fights in synod this week, but perhaps that would be a good uh, quotation to begin our synod meetings with. Mild and courteous speeches and behavior, forbearance, readiness to be reconciled, patient bearing and forgiving of injuries, returning good for evil, comforting and helping the distressed, and protecting and defending the innocent. All of those things and much, much more are included in this commandment. It's not just about keeping yourself from feeling angry and being careless and being undisciplined in the use of, uh, in the care of your body. It's about positively developing these warm and loving and kind and generous attitudes. And when we see the breadth and the depth of the commandment, we have to admit, don't we, that not one of us is guiltless. And that drives us again to the Lord Jesus Christ, as each one of these commandments ought to do. It makes empty the claim of many non-Christians who say, and I'm sure you've heard them say it, God can't be angry with me. I don't do anyone any harm. Well, what we've seen this evening shows that we do do a lot of harm. We've all hurt people many times in many different ways. And we desperately need forgiveness. And the good news is that in Christ, forgiveness, full, free, unreserved forgiveness is available even for the worst of murderers.
And it's available because He came and kept this commandment as a human being. He didn't do any of the things that it forbids. And more impressively than that, He did everything that this commandment requires. And then at the cross, He bore the guilt and the punishment for murderers. The Lord Jesus Christ, who never once spoke a harsh, cruel word in His life, whose every thought was loving and generous and kind. The Son of God, who is love, was treated on the cross like a hateful, malicious, ruthless murderer for your sake and for mine. What incredible, amazing grace that we see in the gospel. Our Heavenly Father, we do uh, pray these words that we have just sung in praise. We pray that you will be merciful to us. We thank you that we can know that you will hear this prayer and that you will grant it because of your grace in Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord God, that because of him, you're able to cleanse us and wash us you're able to take away every last drop of guilt and sin. Father, your word is so searching. It is so convicting. And we pray, Lord God, that you will give us that honesty that we need to see ourselves in the light of the spotlight of your word. We pray that you will expose those attitudes in our hearts uh, those desires, those emotions that are displeasing to you, that are part and parcel uh, of uh, murder itself. We thank you, Father, that you have restrained us from this uh, sin in its final climactic manifestation. But we confess, Lord, that many times, in many ways, we have launched out on this horrible road that leads to murder. So, Father, we pray that you will help us to see these things and to repent of them uh, by the grace of your Holy Spirit. Help us to confess them, to call them what they are, not to dress them up, not to disguise them, not to justify ourselves, but to, in humility, unreservedly, repent of our sin. Then we pray that you will help us to walk in the right paths, to develop those attitudes that are the very opposite of the things that we've been thinking about this evening. We pray that as we do that, we will reflect more and more the beautiful character of the Lord Jesus Christ who kept this command and all your commandments and all their breadth and all their depth, positively and negatively for us. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. <laughs>